This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, I could not be more excited to share with you today, to be here with you today, to, uh, to dream and to vision a little bit about where we're going today. If you're brand new with us or if you've been gone for a while and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. Uh, I am your lead pastor and I just love being part of this community. I love being a new lifer and I'm so excited that you chose to be here with us. If you are brand new, I want you to know because you're here on a special day. uh, Today we're doing some really neat things. We have a vision talk about where we're going, what our mission has always been and what our next steps are moving forward, and it's Baptism Sunday, which means some of you came here today and you're planning on getting baptized after the message. We can't wait for that. Some of you are here today and you did not come planning on being baptized. In fact, you're wearing your your best plaid shirt and jeans today, but some of you are going to be called by God to get baptized, and we want you to know we're excited about that too, and we've made space for you. We can't wait to celebrate that with you. Hey, when you came in, you should have gotten a program that'll let you know where we're going. There's, there's just a ton to be uh, thinking about, praying about, and processing through. So make sure you get inside your program and grab your teaching notes. They'll let you know where we're going. Grab your Start Here card. This will help you stay connected, connected to us as a community, connected to what we're doing in the city and in our county. And ultimately, it connects you to God because we want to help you connect in with God. So make sure you fill out that card. We're going to tell you what to do with that a little bit later on this morning. Uh, And then um, we're going to have you uh, respond in some really, really key ways. So make sure you have that filled out. Well, I was, I was praying and I was thinking about this journey that we've been on together. And some of you knew me when I came to New Life, which was about uh, 12 years ago. I was a 22-year-old kid with bleach-spiked hair, and I think I still had my tongue ring and my gauged ears. And I was, I was one of the college kids who sits down in this area here, you know, and, and I loved it. And you loved me and you welcomed me in. And then six years ago, I came on staff as one of your pastors here at the church and I have just enjoyed every minute of that, working with children and youth and overseeing life groups and now moving into this lead role. It's just been really exciting. But before that, before I came on staff here at the church, I was uh, in ministry at Sonoma State, and I loved that ministry. I was there for six years with a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Feel free to break into spontaneous applause at any moment in the day. So if you're an InterVarsity person, get excited. InterVarsity is an amazing ministry. I love it. Uh, most of the InterVarsity folks are gone on vacation, they'll be back here once the year starts. But InterVarsity was great. And Sonoma State is a unique place to do ministry. If you've never been there, let me just kind of, let me give you a feel for Sonoma State. Uh, and it's a great place. But Sonoma State, uh, for many years, had a clothing optional section of the campus. Interesting. Um, Sonoma State, where we used to meet when we first started in ministry, was this really small multi-purpose room because there were only about 20 or 30 of us gathering together every Thursday to worship and to connect with God. And right next to this little multi-purpose room in the student union was a, a bigger meeting room that had a wall that was completely glass. And so you could see everything that was going on inside this room. And what I would do is I'd get there early with our worship teams on Thursday and I would walk past this all glass room into the little tiny multi-purpose room where we had our worship services. And every week there was something interesting happening in that big glass room. Some weeks we'd walk in uh, and there would be Druids and Wiccans uh, planning to go out into the back by the lake and chant and worship the earth. And that was an interesting thing. And then some weeks we'd walk by and there would be Hindus in there with various statues doing their prayer and meditation time. And then some weeks we'd walk in, there'd be Buddhists there doing their meditation time. 
I remember one week I walked by, and it's kind of burned in my memory. I walked by this glass wall, and they were having what they call at Sonoma State a sex party. And I won't get into specifics, but let me just tell you, so don't worry. Um, Let me just tell you, what they had was, uh, they had a bunch of college students, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, and on a table they had all sorts of implements to help enhance various uh, experiences. Do we understand what we're talking about? Okay, this is not the time when you break into spontaneous applause. Just want to clarify, no. (laughs) I hope you're married. And the funny thing was, so, so I'm walking by, and I'm like, wow, okay, this is really interesting. And I look in, and I see two or three InterVarsity students in the sex party. And I did what you would do when you catch someone doing something with their hand in the cookie jar. I just smiled and waved, you know? And they looked at me, and I said, well, at least they're close to our worship service. They can just scoot right over here next time. Uh, every year, as we grew bigger, we moved into a bigger meeting room, but they told us at the beginning of every year, there's one week where you have to be out. You cannot have your worship service in this room on this week, because this is when we have our annual gender bender cross-dressing fashion show and dance. So, so we'd have our, uh, again, spontaneous applause at interesting times. Okay. Um, should have held off on that a little bit. So every year, we'd be kicked out of this room. We'd have to meet somewhere else because there was a cross-dressing fashion show slash party. And I didn't have an office at Sonoma State, so what I would do is I would just go to the closest coffee shop on campus, and I would just rub shoulders with these students. And I got to know them and learn their ins and outs and had so much fun with them, and I loved every single minute at Sonoma State. Here's why. Because in that six years I did ministry there, I never saw myself as a college pastor. I always saw myself as a missionary to the campus. You hear these stories and you can see why. I, I always walked on the campus and I just, I just had a sense that, that God had called me to be a missionary to Sonoma State. Not in some weird, like, manifest destiny, push my beliefs on you sort of way. More like I'm one starving man showing another starving man where he can find a Christmas ham. Does that make sense? And so I would go on because I loved Sonoma State. I was an undergrad at Sonoma State and I loved college students. I would go on the campus and I would just love on them and tell them about Jesus. And I knew this. I knew more than I loved college students. God loved these college students. And God was calling these students to himself from the, from the, the, the Wiccan and Druid and Buddhist um, worship services, from the sex parties, from gender bender. He was calling all these students to come to himself. And I had an in with the Sonoma State students because I was one of them. I had spent four years as an undergrad at Sonoma State getting to know the faculty and getting to know the staff and understanding the way that students worked. I was that student going to all these activities, going to all these events. And it was, it was great because since I was one of them, I wasn't an outsider coming in, they, they gave me a level of trust and a level of connection that, that outsiders didn't have, other pastors from churches didn't have coming on to the campus. And I was realizing as I was praying for us as a church and for our community, I was realizing this. Sonoma State, in a lot of ways, is a microcosm of Sonoma County. Think about that for a second. Ron has been telling us for years that over 90% of Sonoma County does not go to church on any given Sunday. Did you know that that's unheard of in most of the country? In most of the country, the question is not, should I go to church? The question is, which church am I going to go to? So at at 8.45, everyone's pulling out of their driveways in, in a lot of places in middle America to head off to their various church services. That's not the way that it is in Sonoma County. At least well over 90% of the people in our county that we live with don't ever even think about going to church on a regular Sunday. 
Sonoma County's got this weird, interesting mixture of various spiritualities. When we moved into our street down here in Petaluma about a year and a half ago, I was getting to know the neighbors and forming friendships, and I became friends with one of our neighbors, and he told me, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, because he knew I was a pastor. I said, oh, that's fantastic. That's great. He said, well, come down to my house. Let's hang out and have some time together. So I went to his house, and we walked in, and he said, let me show you my prayer room. I thought, wow, this guy's serious. He's got a whole room dedicated to prayer. He's like super Christian. And I walked into his prayer room, and I walked in there, and there were mats on the ground, and there was, there was a, a Buddha here, and there were various Hindu goddesses and gods all around, and there was a cross kind of over here in the corner. And he could tell that I had kind of a puzzled look on my face. And he said, well, this is the room where I come, and I meditate, and I pray to various gods depending on what I want and what I, what I need. And I just thought to myself, this is Sonoma County. And here's, here's the incredible thing about it. Just like I had an in at Sonoma State because I was one of them, because I had spent my time as an undergrad getting to know what made college students tick and understanding campus life, you and I have an incredible in in Sonoma County. Think about this. We, we raise our kids here. We invest our lives here. We work here in Sonoma County. That 90-plus percent of people... That's not some nameless, faceless horde or group of people. That's not them. That's, that's, that's your spouse. That's your kids. That's your parents. That 90 plus percent of people who have no context for God, those are, those are your kids' school friends. Those are the people we take family vacations with. Those are, the, those are the folks who we're cheering at baseball games with. We have an incredible in because here's what I know about Sonoma County, and this is when you're going to get excited. As much as you and I love Sonoma County, we love Petaluma, we love Roner Park, God loves Sonoma County. Can I get an amen? I can get an amen. He loves Sonoma County. And I want to talk to us today about what it's going to look like for us as a church moving forward to keep the same mission we've always had, but to take new steps to be part of a community that understands that God not only loves us, but he loves Sonoma County. He loves our neighbors. He loves our coworkers. He loves our spouse even more than we do. He loves our kids, and he's calling them to himself. One day after Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead, he was, he was with his disciples, and we know that hundreds of people saw Jesus after his crucifixion. It's a recorded fact in history. And right before he ascended to be with, with God the Father in heaven, He came to his disciples, his followers. They were the only ones who had really a context for for Jesus and Christianity at this point. And he said to them, I need you to know something, and I need you to do something. I have marching orders for you. And, And it comes from Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said this to his followers. He said, all authority, this is what I want you to know, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded with you. And then he promises them this, and I'm with you always, even to the very ends of the age. And Jesus starts off with two promises. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
He said, when I, when I gave my life on the cross, when I allowed myself to be crucified, and when I rose from the dead, I broke the power of sin and death and destruction once and for all. I took down every barrier from any man, woman, and child ever coming to know me so that every person in the world can know me. And he said to his disciples, there will be certain days when you'll see incredible things happen. It, it wasn't too long after Jesus said this to his followers that, that Peter got up and preached a sermon and 3,000 people came and gave their life to Jesus and got baptized. Imagine that. Imagine uh, our, our church, every single person here, times like five, just saying, wow, I didn't even know about God, and we all just run down to get baptized. You don't want to be the last person in that water on that day. That is, that's some nasty water. Let's just be honest. <laughs> 3,000 of them came down and got baptized. He said, there are going to be days like that where there will be no question that all authority has been given to Jesus. He said, but there will be other days, days when things are going tough. Days when, when you're trying to follow me and it seems like everything's falling apart. Days when the car breaks down, your house gets fleas, your kid breaks an arm, vacation falls through, you lose a job, and you're going to wonder, who's got the authority in this world? And Jesus said, on those days, on those days, I want you to remember, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because you've got to understand, the ancient world, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, it was a lot like Sonoma County. At least, at the very least, 90 plus plus percent of the world did not have any context for Christianity. And he's talking to this small group of people, and he gave them an impossible mission. He said, go out into the world, into the nations, and make disciples. But he said, the only way you can do that is if you remember two things. One, Jesus said, I've got the authority. And two, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So he said, I want you to know I've got the authority and I'm going to be with you. And then he said, here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples. And that word go in the original language literally means as you're going, as you're, as you're moving together as a church community, as you're, as you're going to baseball games and soccer games and, and cheerleading, as you're driving down to San Francisco and you're stuck in traffic and all you want to do is, is hit something, um, as you're going to work, as you're going to end-of-the-year performances, as you're going about your everyday job, I said, I want you to know me and I want you to be a person that makes disciples. So I want to talk for the rest of our time together about some things that we're learning as we're going and some things that we're going to be doing as we're going to be disciples. And disciple is simply a follower of Jesus, to be disciples and to make disciples. Here's some things that we've been learning. And by the way, everything that we're learning is coming out of this time of prayer and fasting we did. Before Easter, I invited us to take 40 days to pray and to fast, and I gathered 17 of us. Our pastors, uh, our senior leadership team, made up of our spiritual stewards and our management team, and some key leaders in the church. I said, can we fast for 40 days from something and fast specifically for the next steps as a church, that God would show us what he wants us to do? Because when I became your lead pastor, everything in me wanted to come up here that first day in February and say, all right, here's where we're going, here's what we're doing, here's our five-step plan. And I went and talked to some mentors, and I spent time praying, and all I sensed from God was, don't you dare get up in front of the church and lay out your plan. Call the church to pray. Call the church to fast, and allow me to lay out my plan. And it was dangerous, and it was scary for me, but it's been so good for me, and I think it's been incredibly good for us to slow down and to pray and to ask God to reveal himself to us. So here's what we're learning. We're learning that we live on one of the greatest mission fields in the country. And I don't know how I missed this, because Ron's been saying for years, 90 plus percent of our church, of our community does not go to church. 
The natural outcome of that is that we live on an incredible mission field. If 90 plus percent of the people that we live with, that we rub shoulders with, don't go to church, then we live on a mission field. Think about your street. How many people on your street do you see pulling out for church every Sunday morning? Just think about it for a second. I live on an amazing street, and I love my neighbors. And there's one family on our street that that every other month or so, they come to church at a a various church in the town. But that's it. And I don't think I'm in the minority. Think about the last time you were at your kid's soccer game, and one of the parents said, you know what, I'm not going to be here tomorrow because it's baptism Sunday, or I'm volunteering in ministry. I just can't be at at our youth game because because we're going to be in church. Has that ever happened? No, you can just do this. No, that's probably never happened including you, but that's, that's another sermon for another day. It's all right. It's all right. We'll get there. And, and I said this earlier, and I need us to know, this needs to sink in. I know you and I love our community. We love it. We love the quirky things about it. We love our Butter and Eggs Day parade. Uh, we love everything about our community. But even more than we love our community, did you know that Jesus loves our community? He loves our community. So that leads us to the question, if Jesus loves that 90 plus percent of the people in our community that don't yet know him, how are they going to get to know him? How are they going to get to know him? Which leads us to our next realization. If we live on a mission field, then God has called us to be missionaries. He's called us to be missionaries. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He said, therefore, as you're going, make disciples. And he wasn't talking to like paid pastors and he wasn't talking to just senior leaders in the church. He was talking to the entire community that believed in him at that point, which would be, by the way, us. He was talking to us. And he said, I want you to make disciples. I want you to know me and follow me and love me in such a way that, that, that your heart is drawn into our city to love on our city and to care for our city. And here's why this is so important, because Jesus gave us a promise. One day he was walking with his disciples, and and people have been talking about Jesus, saying some people said he was a prophet. Some people said he was this guy, John the Baptist, who had lived and then had been beheaded, and they were freaking out because they thought he had come back to life. And where were the stitch marks? They couldn't figure it out. Um, And he said, well, to, to his disciples, said, who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was probably the oldest disciple, he was a loud mouth. He had, he had a taste in his mouth for foot on a regular basis. But Peter got it right on this one. Peter said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Basically said, Jesus, you are God in the flesh. And Jesus turned to him and he said, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this confession, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will never overcome it. And that word church literally means gathering. He said, on that confession that I am the living God, I'm going to build a gathering of people. When Jesus said church, he didn't mean building. As nice as this building is, he meant a group of people, a gathering of people, united under him with a common vision to love Jesus and to reach their community. And here's, here's what we're realizing more and more, and this is what I love about New Life. At New Life, we're not church folk. We're a movement of people. And here's what I mean. See, church folk, church folk, they come into church and and they think to themselves, do I like Ron's preaching style better or Kevin's preaching style better? And that's the big argument for them when they leave church on a Sunday. It's like they say, wow, he had a lot of caffeine today. That's what church folk do. 
Church folk walk in and they say, wow, the music was at the, the volume I liked. And they picked the songs that I liked. The Holy Spirit was really moving. And then the next week when the music's a little louder or they don't like the songs, they say, wow, it seemed like God's Spirit wasn't really moving there. That's what church folk do. They argue about, about volume and song selection. Church folk, they pull up life group brochures and they, they look through it and they say, you know what? There's not really anything in here for me. I guess I'm just not going to be in a group. That's what church folk do. But praise God, we're not church folk. We're a movement. Jesus said, you are my church, my movement, my gathering, and, and you as a movement are going to do some incredible things, and not even the gates of hell will be able to overcome my movement. See, church folk are consumers. What's in it for me? How can I get what I want? How can I get my needs met? But Jesus said, I want you to be a church that, that's so excited that we run on Sunday morning to come in here. We don't care what the song is because we get to worship the living God. And when we, when we open up God's word, we aren't saying, well, what is in this for me? I'm not married yet, or I, I've been married and divorced, or my kids are, are grown and raised. We're saying, what can I learn so that I can better love the community that God has called me to? He's called us to be a group of people that storm the gates of hell. Because here's what we know about, about hell. Jesus said this about Satan, about the enemy. He said that he comes to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And we see it all over our community. He's, he's robbing people of their joy. He's stealing love from marriages. He's destroying families. He is, he is, he's robbing people of their God-given purpose in life. He is, he's stealing from them the joy that they could have if they found freedom from addiction, freedom from past hurt, freedom from past pain. He's robbing them of relationships they could have if they just knew how much he loved them and forgave them and then could forgive other people. Jesus said, Satan came only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I want you, I want my church to go out to be a movement of people, not church folk. Because, listen, church folk are boring. Church folk get bitter. Church folk are angry. We don't want to be church folk. We want to be a movement of people united under God. He said, he said I want you to be my church and I want you to know me so deeply that, that your heart, your heart is transformed to love our community. And here's what I think that's going to look like for us. I think we need to call and equip our church to be missionaries. And I think it starts with leadership. Because here's what I'm realizing. I'm realizing that many of us in this room, we came to New Life and we had no faith background, or we had a very nominal faith background, and we got lit up for Jesus. We, we caught a fire for him and a passion for him that changed our lives. And then we said, I want to be a leader because now I'm a Christian, and I know Christians should be leading. I want to be a leader. But we have no context for what it actually looks like to be a Christian and a leader. And so I'm realizing more and more we need to call and equip our leaders and we need to train people up to know and love Jesus and to lead in this mission field. And so what, yeah, that's when we start clapping. I told you, spontaneous at any point. Here's what we've been doing behind the scenes. Pastor Ron and Pastor Angela and myself prayed and, and looked at our church, and we said, we want to start a process that we're calling the Legacy Leadership Journey. 
And so what we did is Angela grabbed eight to 10 people, Ron grabbed eight to 10 people, I grabbed eight to 10 people, and we said for a year, we're going to mentor you specifically and strategically to figure out what it means to be a Christ follower in a very deep and a very rich way, and then to figure out what it looks like to lead in our church and in our community. And so every month we're reading books together, we're gathering together to pray, uh, to discuss things, we're having retreats together, we're having training seminars together. It's been incredible. Our plan would be that some of those people from these legacy gatherings next year would then grab five to ten other people and would train them and disciple them and mentor them for a year so that in three to four years, every single person in our church who wants to has the ability to be mentored in a small group of people about what it looks like to know Jesus intimately and to follow him fully and to be a leader in the church. We want to equip you to know God deeply and to serve God fully. Another thing that we've been doing is we've got this leadership gathering that we call Converge. Three times a year, we gather um, our leadership together. And in the morning, we gather a certain group of kind of key leaders, senior leaders in the church, and we train them and equip them. And then in the afternoon, we invite all of our leaders to come in, and we do some ministry-specific breakout workshoppy type things. What we've realized is this is an incredible training. Why are we limiting it to just a few leaders? We want to throw the doors wide open, and we're going to invite every leader starting in September, every person who calls New Life Home, who's a volunteer within our church, we're going to invite you to come for a full day seminar three times a year simply so we can pour into your life, so we can invest in you, so we can, we can show you what it looks like to know God intimately and to lead from that context. And I can't wait for it. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I cannot wait. My dream for our church is that in the next three to five years, every single person will become fully awake to the work of God in your life. There would be nobody sitting on the sidelines that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real and that he's moving and that he has a plan for your life, that he's called you from something and he's called you for something so that you would know what your purpose is. You would understand your gifting and your passion and you'd be equipped and sent out to serve in an incredible way in the church. And it starts as we pour into you really deeply. And then it continues as we, as we invite you into leadership to volunteer in our church, in our city, and around the world. And I think it's going to be absolutely amazing. My hope would be that in three to five years, every single person who wants to would be able to answer this one question. Why on earth am I on earth? Why on earth am I on earth? Why did God put me here in Petaluma, in Rohnert Park, in Katadi, in Sonomi, Sonomi? to hang out with my homies. That's why he put me here in Sonomi. (laughs) That we'd be able to answer the question, why me, why here, why now? Because we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God has called us from and what he's called us for. Here's some other things that we're learning. If we're really going to be missionaries, we need to study our community. So I want to share with you some observations that I have about our county, about Sonoma County. We've observed this, that we live in a community that has people running a thousand directions all at once, and it leaves us feeling scattered, and it leaves us feeling unable to make traction in our lives. This is the first full week of June, and I just want to talk to you for a second. I want to ask you, how many of you have felt pulled in multiple directions? And before you answer that question, Before you answer that question, I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm not going to like throw anything. Close your eyes. I'm just going to list off a few things. So close your eyes. Work, school, kids' sports, 
chores, service activities, vacation, quality time with your spouse, quality time with your kids individually and together, family meals, homework, sleep if I can, uh, my spiritual development, serving in the community, serving in the church, planning summer vacation, trying to make a little extra money. Okay, open your eyes. How many of you have felt a little bit pulled in the last week? Most of us. Most of us, and we are not abnormal. Most people in our county feel like they're being pulled a thousand different directions. And what we're realizing is that as a church, we have accidentally done the same thing to you. Here's what I mean. I've been telling you for years that if you want to grow spiritually, there are at least three things you have to do. You have to have a personal daily time with God. You have to be in a life group where you're talking with other people about what it looks like to follow God, where you're studying the Bible together, where you're growing together. And you have to be at church every Sunday, really digging into what God has for us as a community and coming to worship Him and coming to be equipped. So basically, if you're doing those things, you're studying one thing over here in your personal times with God, you're studying something else in a life group, and you're coming to church, and you're studying something else at church. And what we're realizing is that you, our, our, our community, our gathering, we're feeling scattered. We can't gain traction in our life because we're studying so many different things all at the same time. So here's what I want to do. I want us to, for the next season, I want us to go slower and deeper in our discipleship so that we can gain traction in our lives. I don't want anyone to be in our church for five years or ten years and say, I'm still dealing with the same old garbage that I always have. I just can't gain traction in my spiritual life. I want us to go deeper. So for the next season, could be a year, could be two years, could be three years, I want to align our spiritual growth process so that I can bring greater traction into our church, because I realize we cannot microwave a deep faith. We just can't do it. So here's what we're going to do. Starting in the fall, all of our life groups are going to be studying the same topic that we're working on in our Sunday morning messages. All of our life groups are going to be studying the same topic, and I think there are huge benefits to it. The first benefit is for those of us who are Jesus followers already in the church. Just think about this. Rather than trying to study three or four different things in your life— Think about the depth you'll be able to have when we study something on Sunday and then you get into a small group and you're talking about it, you're dissecting it, you're going deep. And then you, and then you go and you open up your Bible and you dig into the same topic and you really get into it. I think in the church there's this, there's this false uh, assumption that a church can either be big, we can either grow and be shallow, or we can stay small and get deep. And I want to tell you that's a lie. The church that God has called us to become is a church where the people within our community, we are striving to go deep with God. And the deeper we go with God, here's what's going to happen. He's going to transform us into missionaries. He's going to give us a heart for the 90 plus percent of our community that doesn't yet know him. And as we go deep, we're going to reach our community. We're going to go out. It's not like we need to stay shallow so we can reach people or we need to go deep and not invite anybody in. When we go deep, we will reach people. Amen? Amen. So, You're all clappy today. I love it. Some other benefits are for those of us who are coming into the church with no faith background. Imagine when you first came to church for the very first time, you had no context for Jesus. You you heard something. God awakened your spirit. You gave your life to him. But then you were trying to figure out, well, what do I do next? When we align our Sunday morning messages with our life groups, with the things that you're studying on your own, we'll be able to tell people, this is what you do next. You come to church, we learn something, we get into a small group, we're talking about the same topic, we're really digging into it, we're discussing it. Uh, For those of you, and I know you've done this before, this is a huge benefit for you. Some of you walk out of church on a Sunday morning and you think to yourself, I don't agree with what Kevin said. 
I don't agree with what Kevin said. I wish I could tell someone, but that'd be gossip. Okay, listen, get into a small group. You can talk bad about me in a small group and it won't be gossip. Isn't that incredible? Think about that. I'm giving you permission to say, I don't agree with him to like 10 other church people to think about that. And I won't even get mad at you. You don't even have to come apologize. That's pretty, that's a pretty sweet gift. Just an added benefit, just an added benefit. But think about that for our new folks coming in. We're going to give them a path to know and love Jesus deeply. We're still going to do 12-week life group systems because we think it it gives on-ramps into small groups. We're still going to have specific groups, men's groups, women's groups, marriage groups, 20-somethings groups, um, 50-plus groups, because we think there's something about engaging with a demographic of people in the same age and stage that's really powerful. But here's the difference. Now in your men's group, you're not just talking about men's issues all the time. Now you're talking about what does it look like to be a well-rounded Christian man? What does it look like to be a Christian man in my finances, in my marriage, in my mission to the community? In your marriage groups, you're not just talking about marriage all the time. You're talking about what does it look like to be a well-rounded Christian couple in all aspects of life? And by the way, we're still going to have a ton of open groups because one of the realizations I've had is I've been talking with some of our more seasoned folks in the church. One of my realizations is that there is so much wisdom to be gleaned from the generation that's gone before us. And I want our 20-somethings to learn from our 60 and 70-somethings. And as I look at our 20-somethings, I think what a great gift it is for people in their 60s and 70s to be around people in their 20s who have a youth and a passion and, and an arrogance and an ignorance about life that just says, I can conquer the world. I just think there's a huge benefit to being multi-generational. So a ton of our groups are going to be open so we can be multi-generational. I just want you to think about it. What would it look like to come in here and study a topic, go home in your devotions and study that same topic, and then get into with a small group of other people and talk about it and dig into it some more? I think it's going to give you traction in your life, and I want you to have traction in your life. Another realization that we had as we prayed was that people feel exhausted. They feel exhausted in our community at the end of the day. And God created us to have weekends and to have vacations as a way to recharge. But because of the way that our community and our culture um, sees weekends and sees vacations, most people are exhausted at the end of their weekend and at the end of vacation. I had that experience just two weeks ago. Drove my family seven hours down to L.A. to have a surprise retirement party for my parents got there, drove out to my brother's house to see my new niece, drove back the next day, spent the day at my dad's school's retirement and his retirement party, trying to keep the kids to do the right thing, and they were angels because uh, they're mine, and I'm biased. Um, Had a surprise party the next day, got up, drove back here, had an all-night leadership meeting with like 70 of our volunteers. All night is a little bit of an exaggeration. It was long. I came back from vacation saying the same thing that you come back from vacation saying, Say it with me. I need, I need a vacation. Yeah, I need a vacation. We're learning that people are exhausted. Two years ago this month, I asked us to take a huge step of faith and start a third service on Sunday evenings. And I want to talk to you. Would you raise your hand if you volunteered in any capacity on that third service on Sunday evenings? Would you just raise your hand for me? Look around. I want to talk to you for a second. Those of you who did Sunday evening meals, who did Kids Life, Construction Zone, worship and production, guest services, I want to talk to those of you who prayed specifically about our Sunday evening service and prayed for people to come. You amaze me. You are the reason I can stand up here and say that we as a church will do anything short of sinning to reach our community because you did it. You moved your schedules around. 
You sacrificed your time. You sacrificed your day. And I want to tell you, thank you. God has done some incredible stuff through that Sunday evening service. I know of one family who sits down here every third service, and they started coming uh, together to the night service. And over the course of the last two years, I believe uh, three or four of them have been baptized. They've all come to faith in Jesus through this evening service. It's because you sacrificed your time. And our thought was this when we started this night service. Well, we know people have sports on Sunday morning for their kids, and we know people work on Sunday mornings. So we want to offer a night service because we assume that if we offer a night service, they'll do their sports in the morning, they'll come to the service in the evening. But here's what we're realizing. When people take their kids to sports all morning or they work all morning, they're exhausted in the evening, and they don't want to come back to church. I want you to be totally honest, and we're not going to raise our hands, but how many of you, if you weren't volunteering at least one of those Sunday nights, you didn't want to come back to church? You're exhausted. You're exhausted. So here's what we're going to do. Beginning on July 13th, we're going to restructure all three of our services. Our new service times are going to be 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. 30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. And here's why we're doing this. We're doing it because we believe that if we restructure all of our times like this, we open the door for people to come to church at 8.30 and then go to sports with their kids. We think we have a better shot of reaching our community in the morning than in the evening. Some people have asked me, well, why not just have two services? And that's a fair question. There are certain Sundays when we have between 550 and 600 people come into this church on one Sunday. And I want to give you some perspective on that. The freestanding chairs you're sitting in, not the folding chairs and the two back rows, the freestanding chairs, there are 197 of those chairs out in the auditorium right now. On a Sunday when we have 600 people at our church, each service has about 220 adults in that service. So imagine for a second, every single freestanding chair being completely full and one full row of folding chairs being completely full right now at our current capacity. You know what that tells our community? It tells our community we don't have any space for you at our church. If we went to two services, you know what would happen in our kids' life ministries? They've already got sometimes 15 and 16 one- and two-year-olds in a room together. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Our volunteers would say, I'll keep working, but you better start paying. (laughs) Don't give me all that stuff about treasure in heaven. I want it here. (laughs) So we're saying, no, no. God has called us to be a movement to reach our community. We need to keep space for our community. So we're going to have three services, and we're going to have some open chairs. And here's what I want you to do. Every time you see an open chair at a service, I want you to think of your neighbor and your coworker and your spouse and your kids and say, that's a chair that God has set up specifically for them. And he's leaving that chair open for them. Because that's the reality. Those empty chairs are chairs that God wants his people to be sitting in a year from now. I look forward to the day when we have to buy even more chairs. I look forward to the day when every single Sunday is like Easter Sunday, when we had 860 people at our church. I can't wait for that day because I know this. As we go deeper with God, we will naturally reach our community more fully. The other reason why we're moving to these three morning services is because I'm tired of burning out our volunteers. Volunteers are our most valued resource in the church, and God loves you too much, and I love you too much to say to you, burn yourself out for the sake of a church. I want you to invest your life into the church without burning you out. And here's what's been happening. 
Many of you have been coming in the morning and serving in two services, going home, trying to throw some food together for the kids, take a 20-minute nap, and come back here so you can be at the third service. Or you come to the morning service, you go home, try to get some laundry done, try to take care of the kids, go to the park, get back here, and you serve in the third service, and your entire day is gone, and I'm seeing it on your faces, and I'm seeing it on the faces of our staff and our key volunteers. We're burning you out. And I will not allow us to be a church that burns out the very people that God called us to love. And so we had three meetings with all of our volunteers invited to them. I think we had 140 different volunteers throughout the course of this week where we shared with them. So here's what this looks like for your specific ministry. You'll be doing this for your, your volunteer rotation. This is what this looks like for you. This is what this looks like for you. If, if you weren't here for one of those meetings, talk to your ministry leaders. They have information for you about what it looks like for you. Here's something I'm also really, really excited about. When we move to these three services in the morning, it's going to open up space for us to do something I've wanted to do for a long time. On August 3rd, we're going to be launching Club 56. It's a Sunday morning ministry designed specifically for 5th and 6th grade students, which is going to take place at our 10 a.m. service. Right now, our 6-year-olds to our 12-year-olds meet together in the construction zone. Are you kidding me? You you volunteers are saints. I don't know how you do it. I can't handle one 5-year-old and one 3-year-old. You've got like 20 6- to 12-year-olds in one room with three of you. That's why you come in here and you say, I need prayer, Pastor. I am so excited that on August 3rd, we're going to launch this ministry specifically for 5th and 6th grade students so that we can get really specific with your kids about what it looks like to really know and follow Jesus in an age-specific way, which means the construction zone is going to be able to function with just um, 6-year-olds through uh, 4th graders in a very specific way, and I cannot wait for that. It also means this. Our student ministries is going to be able to function more age-specific. Our student ministries, when we make this transition, is going to move from 6th through 12th grade to be a ministry for 7th to 12th grade students because Jake and his team want to be able to care for our junior and senior high students in a really age-specific way. They'll be breaking students out, junior high boys, junior high girls, senior high boys, senior high girls, but they want to be able to really reach the next generation. And I can't, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. Not many of you know this because I haven't told you this story before. You know, I was a soccer player in high school, but you might not know that when I was not playing soccer, you had to do two sports in order to qualify out of PE at my high school. So I said, I'm going to run track because everyone can make the track team, which was fantastic. But I don't like to run unless I'm chasing a soccer ball. So I said, I'm going to pole vault. That seems fun. You get this huge stick, you run and you kind of shove it into this thing and you fly up in the air. Very exciting. And we didn't have a coach, which meant I got to slack off. And I was very excited about that. So I'm pole vaulting one year, and we're at a track meet, and the coach says to me, Finkbeiner, which by the way, Finkbeiner means stork legs, and I think he knew this. He said, Finkbeiner, stork legs. He said, we need you to run the 400 high hurdles, because one of our runners had hurt himself, was out of the race, and if we didn't have someone filling that spot, we would have to forfeit that race, we would lose the track meet. And so he said, Finkbeiner, I don't care if you get last place. You just need to have a marker so we don't forfeit the race and lose the track meet. And, and me being, um, well, having a little bit of a, a pride issue, a little ego, I thought to myself, I haven't trained for this event, but, but most likely I will win it. That was my thinking. <laughs> so I said, put me in, coach. And he put me in, and I got down in the starting blocks, and the gun went off, and I took off like a bat out of heaven. And I was running, and I jumped that first hurdle, which was, you know, like that high. Um, I jumped that first hurdle, and I'm in first place. 
and I round the corner and I jump the second hurdle and I'm still in first place and I've got visions of crossing the finish line to everyone chanting, Rudy, Rudy. I'm very excited about this. Run and run and run. And all of a sudden I get to the straightaway on the backside and I lose all of my gas immediately. And I start to slow down. And all of a sudden, whew, the first runner goes by. Whew, the second runner goes by. Whew, the third runner goes by. Runner after runner after runner. And I got dead last. And here's what I learned in that moment. It is easy to start a race well, but it's difficult to finish a race well. And church, we have started this race well with God. Under Pastor Ron's leadership over the last 16 years, we have started this race well. We have run with him. We have, we have embraced the vision that he has given us to be the church that reaches our community. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Because Ron has a dream that we will change the spiritual climate of our community, and I have that same dream. And Ron has a dream that we'll be a church that's thriving when Jesus comes back, and I have that same dream. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you run this race with me? Would you run this next leg of this race with me? Because I know what you're thinking. Some of you, some of you are thinking, this isn't a change at all. What, this is, this is e- three services changing, no big deal. Life group's no big deal. You love change. You're very excited about that. On the other end of the pendulum, some of you are thinking that literally the sky is going to fall tomorrow. You're sure the church is going to start burning up at any moment because you don't like change and it's scary. And here's what I want to say to you. This is not a change in mission. This is simply our next step as a church. And I want to ask you to do this. Would you pray with me and would you join with me in this journey? Because Jesus left us with a promise. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, which means he's with us on this journey, which means he's with us in these next steps. He is calling us to be the community, the movement of people who loves him so deeply that we, we just love our community, that we love Sonoma County so much that we put a stake in the ground that says Jesus is alive and he loves you and he wants you to know him. He wants to transform your life. And I want to ask you, church, would you be that movement with me as we take this next leg together? Would you do that? All right. then I'm going to ask you to do a few things this week. Pray. Pray with me for our community. Pray with me for this next step of the vision. Pray with me for God's favor. We don't know all the implications of what we're doing. We simply know that this is what God has for us next. So would you pray with me regularly? Would you do that, church? Thank you. That is amazing. When we pray, God moves. I believe that completely. So let's be a church that prays together. If you have questions, talk to me. Talk to our staff. Talk to your ministry leaders. Talk to your life group leaders. That's why we share the vision with them first, so they could pray and they could answer questions. Talk to us. After service, we're going to have a frequently asked question sheet to give to you, so you can look at that. It can answer your questions. But I want us to walk on this journey together. I'm so excited to walk on it with you. And if you're here today, and this is your first time to church, I want to tell you this. Everything we do, we do because we love God, and we do because God loves you. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, today could be your day to say yes to him. God loves you so much that he moved heaven and earth to come down here to give his life on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could be forgiven, so you could have life with him. And I want to ask you today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, to make that step of faith, to cross that line today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of communion and baptism that Pastor Ron will lead us into. But if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So let's pray together. 
If you're here and you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, something that we've said today just strikes true to you, and you want to walk on this journey with him, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering. and Yes, I want you. So would you come into my life and forgive me of my sin and fill me with your spirit and show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision, I'm so happy for you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.